Welcome to episode 186 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. I am glad to be back. Um, And thanks, Todd, for holding down the fort while I was gone. Um, And it was fun to listen to last week's episode. I don't know if you knew this, but Utah is home to like three, I think, of the major essential oil companies (laughs) that exist. Oh, I was a little sad to not be here and, you know, ask some behind the scenes questions about which one of these are great and which one of them are just multi-level marketing. (laughs) I might have to go back and ask some questions now. Uh, I'm sure Robin would help you lead you to the right ones. The right ones. Yeah, but it was a great episode and it was great to listen to while I was recovering. And I'm back and, you know, have still some getting some benefits out of doing telepractice. Like from I had a surgery last week and now I'm, you know, able to do things like wear comfortable pants as I ease back into work and not have anyone know I'm still in my pajama pants because that's what's comfortable to wear. So, but I also um, luckily had my husband and sister to talk some sense into me when I thought I could do a full day of teletherapy the day after I had surgery. Um, I was Ugh. like, you know, I'm just going to sit there. It'll be fine. But they talked me out of that. So that's another um, thing you should do. Sometimes you need a third person to be objective and say, no, that's not a good idea. (laughs) When you think, I'm just going to sit there. I'll be fine. Yeah, you have to. What we've been talking about, self-care, right? And and having that balance. And you had some major surgery, so you definitely should find time to just relax. Yeah, I'm glad you were able to do that. Yeah, yeah. So I've still been discovering some things that um, AI can and can't do. Uh, It had a really hard time with my Christmas list of 20 grandkids who needed to draw names but not Mm -hmm. have a name of their sibling. It couldn't do it. I turned to (laughs) Excel instead. But um, I was looking on Instagram and there's an account called Create Communication And they used, um, there's AI that also does visual images Mm -hmm. and they used it to create some images where um, it has some uh, minimal pairs in the image. So there's like someone, a picture of someone walking a rock. So you can do walk and rock. And then there's a one, a number one that's running. So one and run. And it was just like a cute, they're very cute pictures. He's posted them. Um, so they posted them so you can go and get them off of their Instagram too. Um, but just a good, a cool idea that I wouldn't have thought of um, mm-hmm. creating some images. So if you need like a sound loaded scene, you could mm-hmm. do that as well. And so just another, another way I've learned to use AI. I did have a good discussion with my students this week, too. I have some that are older and they're in a tech school, so they love talking about computers. <laughs> and I got some of their opinions on AI. One of them, and this is a really good point that was actually brought up in the post, is that um, you have people that are artists and are creative and they can spend hours and hours painting or drawing or making these beautiful things. And then here comes AI and it can do it in about five seconds. <laughs> so there's that that balance of, you know, are we taking things away from artists, but 
It's helping us create things that we need quickly and maybe we wouldn't be able to do if we had to turn to an artist to do that. So I think that's kind of where its place still can be. And with the Instagram account, do they mention which AI they're using to generate the images? They did mention it in the comments somewhere. Um, I think it was Dal E D A L D A L L dash E. Okay. So that they used um, like regular Chat GPT to kind of create the like prompts for it, mm-hmm. and then took those prompts and put them in um, the Dal E. Gotcha. I mean, play around with that a little bit. I know yeah, yeah. on on Canva, what they're trying to do is is something very similar, where you can, if you want to design some logo or design something, you just type in what you know you want, and it'll create something yeah. for you to look That's at. That's very so, cool. Makes um, me a little concerned for my niece that just graduated in graphic design, <laughs> <laughs> but it is very cool. <laughs> it's yeah, I I think it. It has impacted that whole field, mm-hmm. um, but you still need good people who can guide it the right way. Right, right. And like I said, there's some things that you think it should be able to do, but it just, for whatever reason, is not good at doing yet. Can't do it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, on the show today, on this episode, we have uh, Devin Ellswick, who is Joining us from the Clark School, uh, Clark Center for Hearing and Speech, I think, uh, is the official name. Uh, most people just refer to it as the Clark School, but they have like five different campuses. But she's based in Boston, and she's going to talk to us about what she's doing in early intervention with families that have young children with hearing loss and how she does that through telepractice. We want to congratulate Presence for reaching the incredible milestone of 6 million remote evaluations and teletherapy sessions. Presence is a pioneer in special education and mental health teletherapy, and they're making a real impact in solving the national shortage of school clinicians with nearly 10,000 pre-K to 12th grade schools supported across the nation. At Presence, they're on a mission to empower schools and clinicians by breaking down the traditional barriers to success through their elevated approach to teletherapy. As a trusted partner and advocate for clinicians since 2009, Presence offers its large community of teletherapy providers access to an award-winning platform with assessment and therapy materials, continuing education, and networking opportunities to help them succeed. Through ongoing clinically-led resources and support, Presence is meeting the needs and creating career opportunities for clinicians today, wherever they are. Presence is teletherapy elevated. Learn more at Presence.com. Devin, welcome to the podcast. Let's start with your background. How did you find speech-language pathology? Sure. I am so excited to be here. I started undergrad at Bridgewater State University as an early childhood education major. Um, Through some of my observations, I fell in line with a school speech language pathologist. It was not something I knew much about, but I loved the work that she was doing, and I loved the time that I got to spend with her, and I jumped in and made the switch and never looked back from there. Uh, I 
found early intervention in a similar way. I, um, I in grad school, I did a rotation with the with the May Center, I thought I was going to be in the residential program, but turned out to be in the early intervention setting. <laughs> and again, I never looked back. It was never something that I saw myself doing, but it's a population that I love. And um, that's where that's how I got here. Yeah. And and you what were your experiences after grad school? I started out working for an early intervention agency. I was out in Western Massachusetts, and I did that for about two and a half years. Through that experience, I became the point person within the agency for children who were deaf or hard of hearing, and that aligned me with Clark Schools for Hearing and Speech. Mm -hmm. Um, And when a position opened up within their program, I jumped on it, and I've been at Clark ever since. And how long has that been now? That has been five and a half years. Wow. Wow. It goes fast. Yeah. So for those uh, uh, listeners who may not know about the Clark schools, um, would you mind just mentioning a little bit of the history and, and, and the different campuses and all that? Absolutely. So there are there are five Clark campuses along the East Coast. I am based out of the Boston campus. We also have a campus out in Western Massachusetts. We have Philadelphia, New York, and Jacksonville. We all work on listening and spoken language with children who are deaf or hard of hearing. We focus on building auditory strategies um, into their routines, whether those be home-based routines or school-based routines. We have services available from birth through high school graduation. Um, starting with your early intervention program, I am often the first point of contact for Clark Boston all the way through our mainstream services. Um, and again, those go right through high school, uh, depending on levels of support that that children need. Um, And again, we're focusing on listening and spoken language. So maximizing the use of auditory skills, um, the use of hearing aids or cochlear implants um, to acquire spoken language and to learn curriculum through spoken language and mainstream settings or within our our, or within our school programs. And with that, are you still focused on the early intervention population? I am. I work with zero to three year olds. Fun. Yes, they're the best. There's no boring day with zero to three year olds. No, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and uh, you guys have had a very strong telepractice, teletherapy uh, program for, for a number of years now. My opening line during intakes when we're talking about the telepractice program is always that our telepractice program was not developed as a product of COVID. I feel like <laughs> it sounds archaic to say it at this point as, That's right. as we are, but. Um, I think that surprises people that we've been mm-hmm. up and running with telepractice for so long. And I am always the first one to say that when I came to Clark, I was skeptical. I didn't know how this was going to work with this population. But I think providing services and providing parent coaching focused services through telepractice has made me a much better speech pathologist. Um, and I, I see better outcomes. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> and I, I think... Um... I think telepractice is, is, you know, custom made for that age, you know, that birth of three and the parent coaching aspect. Uh, I, I, I think a lot of uh, clinicians and therapists who have worked with kids with hearing loss, once they, if they did all in-person visits and then switched to telepractice, I think they realize for some people how little parent coaching they were doing before, mm-hmm. where this forces you 
to do the parent coaching because you can't rescue anyone. Yeah. Might have been parent modeling, but not really parent exactly. coaching. <laughs> exactly. I think a lot of parents were sitting there watching. Right. Not being coached. Right. I, I always say the goal of our services is for parents to feel confident and capable carrying over these strategies. And I think some parents are all in with that right off the bat and other parents kind of roll their eyes, but they all leave feeling really confident mm -hmm. and capable with these auditory strategies. Right. And have you gotten any pushback from parents just because some parents through COVID got a little taste of, you know, online schools or telepractice because they had to do it. And, you know, some families got a sort of a bad taste because it was done hastily and, you know, three kids sitting in front of the computer trying to get classroom instruction. And, and so have you, have you gotten any pushback at all? I work to present it so differently than that, that I don't often get a ton of pushback. I think um, a lot, the skepticism comes from an expectation that a baby or a toddler would engage with me on the screen. So right yeah. out of the gate, I'm always telling families that is never the goal. I don't <laughs> care if they never look in my direction. I'm here to support you. I talk right. a lot about the different ways those sessions can look. And I think mm -hmm. and, and the different ways that those sessions are structured based on really adult learning styles and what works best for that parent in that moment talk about sessions where I'm like a fly on the wall and families are very much engaging with their baby. That baby is actively involved. They're not actively involved with me. I'm giving the parent ideas as they get through those routines. And we talk about sessions that can look more adult focused where um, parents are really the, the, the sole person interacting yeah. on a call. And then they're taking that information back. They're absorbing it, they're digesting it, and they're implementing without the pressure of eyes on them, which sometimes which sometimes gets through that barrier of feeling uncomfortable with with telepractice and with the service model. And I get I get a lot of buy-in because we're very flexible and we're very focused on adult learning styles and figuring out how we can be most helpful for the adult in the room on the screen. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um what are some of the styles that are most challenging for you? As far about as adult learning styles? Uh, yeah, adult learning style. I think it's challenging. I think I I think um adults who are very set in the um the direct therapy model can be challenging. I think sure. a, um it can be challenging when an adult's learning style is that they want to see it done to really observe it um and to to take it in that way. I think. There can be challenges in that, in that, but I also think um, there's a piece to pushing caregivers outside their comfort zone that makes a big difference in their comprehension of the strategies. And I also think we can be super creative. I think good telepractice always comes with having a baby doll nearby or having <laughs> manipulatives nearby where we can do a little bit of that demoing and we can meet them halfway to, um, to, to access that and to help support them in in their best learning and in feeling supported and really feeling again like we can meet them where they're at in whatever their learning style is good answer. do you have any i like that yeah do you have any strategies of how or like questionnaires that you guys go through that determines the parent um adult learning style i um it's not it's not the adult learning style but i am 
newly exploring the piccolo and I'm really liking it. So that looks at parent interactions with children and okay. it requires the provider to observe without interjecting. And it's really hard because that's not what we do as <laughs> yeah. practitioners, but right. um, we observe without interjecting and we look at all the positive parenting styles that are happening. And we look for moments of engagement where something that parent is doing is really benefiting that child. There are checklists in different areas of engagement that we, that we look for. Um, and we score it, but we never talk about the negative. We always talk about what was going really well and what was helping what what that parent was doing to support their child yeah. and how and the evidence that we got to see that that was really benefiting that baby or toddler in the moment. And I think that can be empowering for parents who feel like, I don't know what I'm doing with this little human in front of me. I <laughs> um, I think again, when we think about learning styles and figuring out how to meet parents where they're at coming from that really strengths-based approach and having this right. idea that lets us come from that strengths-based approach, it is super helpful in yeah. them feeling seen and them feeling like we really will get to know you, we'll build that strong rapport through telepractice and we can capitalize on what's already going really well when we're thinking mm -hmm. about building auditory um, and language in. Yeah, that's so interesting because like we talk, I feel like that's a big buzzword in therapy in general right now of strength-based approaches and things like that. But I hadn't really thought of it on the like caregiver side as well, making them see their strengths and building upon those rather than being like, well, you never, you know, looked at your kid's face or something like that and having them just focus on that and feel right. defeated. <laughs> Right. It's less try and do this instead and more you're already right. doing this. So let's talk about let's why that it. works so well and build off of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, what the hell are you doing? I think that doesn't work so well. <laughs> My parents don't like that when I say that. Um, <laughs> or I just say, what the hell? <laughs> Go from there. Um, so I... What what I've seen, uh, I think one of the uh, strategies that I've I have found in terms of setting those expectations is that that's exactly what you have to do. Is from when you just, you talked about intake and and being very positive, but also setting expectations of how it's going to look. It's not the you know the parent putting their baby right in front of the computer and you're going to reach through the computer and work your magic and fix everything. It's focused on setting the expectation that I'm here to support you, the parent, so that you can be more effective, basically. So I, I, I love that. Yeah. I think that the other thing that I talk about a lot is that in, in supporting parents, I always say we want you to be able to build these strategies into every routine. Mm -hmm. We want you to be able to build language and listening opportunities into everything that you're already doing. But that sounds like a lot of work. And I always say it shouldn't feel like work. The goal yeah, of right. these sessions and the goal of us working so closely together is that you're reframing the way that you're thinking about what you're doing, but you're doing what you're already doing. And I don't always think that parents of children with hearing loss hear enough that they should enjoy their baby. Um, we want the yeah. time spent with your baby or your toddler or your child to be enjoyable, to be fun, and to not feel like... Ugh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not do I'm not incorporating enough of these strategies. I didn't work hard enough today or all I did was work today. I didn't enjoy the smile or the moment of engagement mm -hmm. that naturally occurred. 
um, I always really emphasize the um, my philosophy of in, enjoying the little human that um, that is yours within this. I don't ever want um, in my parent coaching for parents to feel like they're working all the time. Right. Right. And it is, it's a weird balance, I think, to even think of about it from the parent's perspective and being like, we want you to become the therapist, but we don't want you to feel like you are your child's therapist. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Give them the knowledge, but uh, right. not, don't feel like you're always on. Don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that enjoying the baby in, in, is something that came up. I, I remember years ago, this is before newborn hearing screening was really in place consistently. Um, we had a, a family I worked with that had a son was identified profoundly deaf, you know, bilateral uh, sensory neural hearing loss and ended up getting cochlear implants, all that stuff. Uh, but he wasn't identified because there wasn't uh, newborn hearing screening in place. He was, you know, just started to show signs and eventually they got diagnosed probably about 10 months or 11 months old. Then, you know, two or three years later, the family has a second child, a son. And because he was high risk because of his brother being deaf, they went ahead and tested him as a newborn. And sure enough, profound bilateral sensory neural hearing loss. And I'm meeting with the parents and I'm saying, let's get those hearing aids on. Let's get going. Because they've lived through this already. You know, they're already doing it. And they said, no. They said, nope. We're going to enjoy this infant, this little boy, for the next two or three months. Then we're going to let all that come in. And I had to respect that. You know, it wasn't something I would have recommended. But that's where they were. They wanted just to let him be a baby, <laughs> you know, and they were just going to interact with him and enjoy him before they jumped back on the wagon of hearing loss and, and doing all this stuff. Um, and he he did just fine. Uh, not saying um, this is a regular recommendation that I have now, but he, he did fine because, you know, he got all the great early intervention after that. But uh but that always stuck with me that they just wanted to enjoy this infant before taking on everything else in terms of early intervention and hearing aids and all this other stuff. I think it feels easier to do that via telepractice. I think that the weight of like you have this infant and you're getting an overwhelming amount of information thrown at you from all angles. And now somebody's coming into your home or you're driving your baby somewhere and you have to coordinate all of these different appointments makes it feel really hard to enjoy your baby. But when we can chat during nap time, when we can chat at that baby's mm-hmm. best time of day, and when we can be super mm-hmm. flexible with what that looks like, I think parents are finding it easier to enjoy their baby while starting services really, really right. early um, with these tiny peanuts. But it's not the the push of now I have to be right. here. Now somebody's coming. My house has to look this way. I have to be in this place and my baby has to be in a great mood when I get to that place. And how can I predict that? It can look so many different ways and still be successful via telepractice. I I agree a hundred percent. Amen, sister. <laughs> I mean, every family's different and every, you know, they're, you have to meet them where they are. 
and yeah. their um, acceptance and how they're you know dealing with the situation. And then with all the other factors, socioeconomic, uh, you know, the type of device they're using. You know, a lot of my families are only using their phone to connect through telepractice. And that's a challenge sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as I can see them, especially the younger ones, it's great. But when they are trying to look at something I'm trying to show them, then they're looking at their little tiny screen. And uh, it doesn't always translate as well. Um, and so you have to think through, how how can I still get them this information or show them this um, and they can understand what I'm talking about you know, when they're looking at this little screen on their phone? So. There's always a degree of flexibility with the tiny mm-hmm. ones, no matter how you're doing that service. But I log into many sessions with plans to plans to share a resource and really go through it. But a toddler screaming or a sibling is home unexpectedly and they want to be right in that baby's face. So now I want to capitalize on that great moment <laughs> to talk about sibling interaction and the and um it's just not the time to share the resource and to yeah. go through the information. Right. I think that degree of flexibility can be challenging f- as a therapist, but I think it, it, the degree of flexibility that telepractice allows makes a big difference for families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's, I think it's been a real lifesaver for a lot of families because mm-hmm. uh, without telepractice, they wouldn't have access to any services or any appropriate services. Uh, for for many of them, that's yeah. that's been my experience. I yeah. agree. And when we think about Todd, when we were starting, when you started the program at Utah State University, how far we had some families that moved like across the state and mm-hmm. or across different states to get to that program, and just how m- many more kids we can serve in this specialized area. And you know, it's a low degree of disability and then even a lower degree of people who have the training to do the auditory verbal therapy. And so it's just like opened doors all over the place for these kids to get these services. It really has. It really has. It's made a big difference for a lot of families, for sure. Yeah. Well, Devin, I think it's time for the most important aspect of our interview. It's our our moment of Zen. Okay. Okay. So within our moment of Zen, we have three different lists of questions. List A, B, and C. And this is uh, just some questions we ask our guests just to get to know them a little bit better. So which, which list would you want? List A, B, or C? Let's go list C. Ooh. List C. Okay, here we go. Where did you grow up and how did that affect who you became? I grew up in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, and I stayed in Massachusetts for my entire life. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, uh, my, my mom was a teacher. She went back to school for her degree in education when I was in elementary school. So at a point, she was student teaching in the elementary school that I was attending, mm-hmm. and I think her drive to be in an educational setting and um, as an adult learner to go back and change her path to really inspired me to take a similar, a similar yet different, but a similar route. And I knew from a very early age um, watching her growing up that this was a direction that I wanted to go into. Awesome. Great uh, 
sort of a model for you to follow there with your mom. Absolutely. Otherwise, there's not much going on in North Attleboro. Not <laughs> you're the you're the famous person who's come out of there, right? <laughs> we have um, Teddy Bruski. <laughs> who's that? Teddy Bruski. Oh, is he? Is he a hockey player? He's a he's a former Patriot. Oh, Patriot. Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew he was sports. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys are losing your coach now. I know. I know. That is, we are in that Gillette Stadium corner of Massachusetts. So um, it's like he's, he's going to be let go after winning all those titles and all the Super yeah. Bowls. Bill Belichick. I know. I can't make too many intelligent football comments. I open the door <laughs> <for> myself. <laughs> okay. So let's see. Number two, if money wasn't a factor, what would you do with your time? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I have always loved working, working with children and I have always considered, always thought about different ways to pursue that through different angles. I, um, am a big Jimmy fund supporter. So volunteering with the Jimmy fund is something that I've always tried to find a way to factor in. Um, I think if, money wasn't an object, that would be something that I would devote more time to than I can. Um, I've done I've done the Jimmy Fund walk in the past, which is the Boston Marathon route. Um, so that's been my big way to contribute so far. But I've always um I've always thought about ways that I could give back more as far as hobbies go. I have a dog who's the light of my life, who I think <laughs> you got to hear last time we talked to Todd um in the background, but he's he's downstairs tonight. But um I would love to spend, you know, all of my time being a stay-at-home dog mom. Um <laughs> I also knit, which is, you know, my funky little side hobby, but um love love crafting a winter garment. <laughs> that sounds great. My my wife knits. She loves it. So. Yeah. My sister-in-law does that. We went to Iceland a couple of years ago and I she watched my youngest daughter while we went. And so I brought her back some yarn from the Iceland sheep and she was so excited. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this is a good one. <laughs> you don't always meet someone who shares your passion for good yeah. yarn. Yeah. Like that's that's a hard quality to find. Yeah. <laughs> well, my my wife, I don't know the whole story, but there's a, a, a llama. You get you get yarn from llamas, right? Yeah, alpacas. Yeah. Alpacas, alpacas or, or, yeah, or llamas, alpacas. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So there's a woman who sells the yarn, and so you can sort of sponsor, and she's named all the different animals, <laughs> and so she'll send you yarn from that animal, and you can go online oh, and like see your the alpaca. animal. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And so, yeah. So so yeah, I'll 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 send you information on that. Oh, I am all about that. She yeah. So my wife gives me updates on these animals all the time. Shows me the yarn that they produced. So (laughs) that my other, you know, my backup plan is always I'm going to throw it all away and open a yarn store. And my mom always says, you know, I'm not really sure there's a market for that, but there is. There is. There is. There is. There is. It's it's cool again for sure. (laughs) It's very cool. My my wife wanted to. Well, in a similar vein, wanted to have a yarn store, coffee shop, and bookstore all rolled in one. And people would just come in and 
browse and sit and drink coffee and and knit and do all that. So oh, I'm that's my travel for that experience. I know we have we have our retirement plan now, right? Us <laughs> <Jess> and Maria. <laughs> I I will let her know. So okay. we'll, we'll have to all work together to build that it happen. Yep, build that. Um, what was the last thing you searched for on Google? Oh boy, what did I search for on Google? I can tell you. I've been doing a lot of holiday movie searching recently. Uh, I'm trying to pull from the archives and I'm, I'm pull from the archives. Not, <laughs> it's not as easy to find those stop motion classics on um on the internet these days. So I've been doing a lot of Googling to find where I can where I can pull the OG classics from. <laughs> like Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph. Rudolph. Yeah. Yeah. And Charlie Brown. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I grew Good up ones. with all those. The best ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course, my my daughter, back in November, started watching all of the Hallmark movies. <laughs> <clears throat> she is addicted. She just watches right. them continuously. And not opposed to those either. <laughs> <laughs> just loves them. Um, my, next my question. My fiance keeps coming in the room and saying, "Like we already watched this one," and I'm like, "We didn't. They're we just didn't. They really <laughs> just are all the same. <laughs> same basic plot." Yep. Uh, next question is: What do people misunderstand most about you? Oh, I professionally or personally, <laughs> either one. Either one. However you want to answer it. I would say professionally when I, when Pete, when I, when I offer my job, um, when I'm meeting new people, I am very commonly asked about sign language. Yep. I was going to guess that. So, you know, like, so, you know, sign language. Yes. (laughs) I field a lot of questions about sign language. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I am not a fluent signer and I always I I would personally love to be a fluent signer, love to use more sign language just um because I think it would be amazing to know in my personal life. Um I have tried to learn sign language numerous times. I think it is so hard to learn if you don't have someone to practice with and that is always right. my advice to families who are pursuing multiple modalities, practice together, find groups of people to study with because it is so hard to learn without someone to practice with. Um, so I, I'm very open to learning, but I do talk a lot about the fact that I do not know sign language. <laughs> no problem. I I know I used to be fairly fluent, uh, but not anymore. Uh, yeah. It's hard when you're not practicing. <laughs> if you're not doing it very, very consistently, yeah. it just kind of fades away. Um, how do you relax after a hard day? I am a big walker. Bruno and I hit the open road very frequently. It's tough when as it gets darker earlier, but we find time. He's got quite the sweater collection these days. And <laughs> I um I love a walk and I love an audiobook. Um I've um I'm, I'm about to hit my reading goal for 2023 and audiobooks have really gotten me there because I think that um Physically doing something while you're listening to something is my best way to really shut my mind off and keep my mind from wandering back to the stresses of the day. 
Another reason that I like to knit, your hands can be busy. You can be listening to something else. You can really just, you have to focus on one of those two things. There's not a lot of room for, for your mind to wander. So walking with audiobooks, walking with a good podcast. Um, Perfect. And what kind of dog is Bruno? Bruno is a mini Australian Labradoodle. I talk about him all day. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Let's see. What challenge in life has shaped you the most? Um, I, what challenge? That's a great question. Um, I, maybe I should have picked list A. Um, I think that I, well, I went to grad school at UMass Amherst, so I was out in Western Massachusetts. These sound like very small moves, but the culture in Massachusetts is very, very different depending on where exactly you're located. So sure. while I never left Massachusetts as a resident, I uh, I went to grad school in Western Massachusetts and I stayed out there for my first few years as a professional. And then I moved back to um I moved back to Eastern Mass, close to where I grew up, and I it's hard to make friends as an adult when um, I was coming back to somewhere that was fairly familiar, but it was not the same as it was the last time I was in that area. And I was starting, I was starting a new job where I um, I was on the road or remote very often, and it, I think that I really had to put myself out there in order to make friends and to find my people in ways that pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I think I learned a lot about myself and I, um, I made a great group of friends and found a little life for myself, but it was hard to do that as someone who had had these new experiences coming into new situations, primarily as a student to do that as a whole grown adult was hard and it was different than I expected it to be. I can I can relate to that. I moved across the country my first job out of grad school. See, that's a more and dramatic I, move. And now yeah, I, but I still yeah. no no no. But I think I think even that and uh, like and I had but I had my husband. But it was like a very like weird lonely time because and especially working in early intervention, you're not seeing people in the office every day. Like a lot of times, you never see the people that you work with. Right. And yeah, and then the people you do see are clients, so you can't really make friends with. Them. Right. It was a weird, it was a weird, lonely time. I, I, I get where you're coming from on that. There's a push to do things you might not otherwise yes. do or be in situations to just be more outgoing than you, yeah. Might, yeah. you might otherwise be because otherwise it is really lonely yeah. and it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. I agree. Happened to me as well. And I left home many years ago. Yeah. Um, so let's see, when are you most productive? Time of day wise. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like a mid afternoon person. I don't think I'm a good morning person and I'm not a good night owl either. I hit my groove in the mid afternoon and then I can really bang out a project, but, um, waking up is tough and I go to bed early too. (laughs) (laughs) So you're, you're... I heard someone that was, I'm not a, I'm not a night owl or, an early bird. I'm some kind of permanently exhausted chicken. Yes. <laughs> this is what I've heard from pigeon. <laughs> Something like that. I'm like, yeah, that that fits yeah. pretty well with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm, it's my nap time when you're getting going, Devin, in the afternoon. So. <laughs> 
Um, I'm always excited when I hear someone that's not a morning person because I feel like there's, I don't, I don't know, almost a stigma that it's like, you're not productive in the morning, then you're never going to be productive the whole day. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Mid-afternoon to late evening is me. Yes, that's my jam. A mid-afternoon um, peacock. That sounds nice. Eh? A peacock. I like that. I like that. I like that. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Unique. I like that. See, we've we've invented something new today. New term. <laughs> um, what's your favorite comfort food? Oh, I'm a sweets person. I like chocolate. Chocolate. Yes. Classic. Yeah. Yes. I like it in all forms, really. <laughs> Melted, yeah, <laughs> chocolate Hot bars, chocolate, chocolate yeah. cake. Um, what was the best concert or live performance you've ever attended? Tim McGraw. Oh, I've been many that. times, but I there was a Tim McGraw and Faith Hill show at Gillette Stadium that won't ever be topped. Wow, that's that's pretty strong. Sort of will not will not be topped. Because I see him in like the sweet spot where he was Mm -hmm. still singing a lot of old songs. He hadn't crossed over into the pop country stuff yet. It was, um, it was classic Tim McGraw. That's what Garth Brooks is starting a residency in, in Las Vegas. And I just live two hours away from there. So that might have to go on my concert bucket list. I did try really hard to see the Backstreet Boys and it got canceled for COVID and canceled for COVID. And then my friend who I was going with had a baby because what is she doing? And it didn't happen. <laughs> so Tim holds the top spot. Tim McGraw. So you look at Kim, you wouldn't think she was this just incredible concert goer, but she's she's I've had a good year for concert. You've had a great year. I, You've seen I made it. I made it. Pink, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. I uh, did. I, I went to Taylor Swift. Um, it helps living close to Vegas now. That And um, I went to Pink. That was my second time at Pink. And that is my nothing will top this concert. Hey, <laughs> I, I even even more did, than Taylor. Don't tell this with these. I said that. <laughs> did, did Tim swing around on, on ropes and, and stuff? Yeah, and, she oh. does aerial silks and trapeze and... While she's singing, while she's singing, (laughs) I mean that's hard to beat. I know, I know, and I've heard she her goal someday is to do a Vegas residency as well, because then she wouldn't have to cart around all of her trapeze (laughs) and everything. So when that happens, I you'll have to come and see me. That's just what we'll have to do. (laughs) That sounds great. Devin, the last question is, if heaven exists, what would you want to hear God say when you arrived at the pearly gates? um, I I would be so excited to reconnect with my grandma, but I really would want to, I'm a positive feedback person, I guess I would want to hear, you did good, you made it, you're here. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we think you did great uh, uh, joining us on this episode. So thank you for doing that and and learning more about you and what you're doing there at Clark. How can people reach out to you or or learn more about Clark? 
Sure. So I am always available if people are looking for more information about Clark Early Intervention Services. Right on our website, you can reach out through the Clark info. Your requests will certainly make their way to me. Um, I'm happy to provide contact information that's specific to me. If you want me to? It's up to you. We can put it in the show notes too. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I can give you contact information that's specific to me, but that Clark, the Clark website, clarkschools.org will link you right to our info sheet and anything early intervention in Massachusetts wise will make its way to me. Otherwise they can point you in the right direction for services beyond that and outside of my catchment area. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you for joining us and, and come back in the future and, and give us an update. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I want to thank Devin for joining us on the podcast. Please check out what she's doing at the Clark Schools for Hearing and Speech. She's at the Boston campus, and they do an excellent job working with children with hearing loss who are using the listening and spoken language approach. And they have a very, very strong telepractice program. So, you know, I love what they're doing because that is exactly my passion, young children with hearing loss and their families. And thank you for joining us on this episode. Please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That helps us to attract those new listeners and new subscribers, which really helps us out. And so until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.